0: Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. All that is gone.
1: only shooting stars break the mold. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley, back for another Supercoach pre-season episode. And this one's actually part two of the West Tigers, Cronulla Sharks episode. Uh, So the first episode, part one, we did the Tigers, and me and Matty Person, big Tigers fan, also podcast veteran, and very regular guest on the NRL All-Stars podcast, spoke about the Tigers in depth. Now it's time for me and Perso to get stuck into the Sharks in part two of the podcast. So Perso, the Cronulla Sharks. They're probably one of the teams that have stayed more steadfast than just about anyone else. Um, I don't think they've had a hell of a lot of movement. Very different to last year. So, last year, they had the key signings of the Storm duo of Fanoukan and also Nico Hines, who ended up winning the Daly M, and they were huge signings. This year, it's realistically just um, second grade guys that they've got that they've gained. The losses, uh, Andrew Feda. Uh, Lockie Miller, Aiden Tolman, Luke Metcalf, Pelé, all these guys are more bench to depth than anything.
0: Third and fourth choice, fullbacks, uh, bench prop, but they're get to start. And yeah, they haven't really lost much.
1: No. So for a side that finished second, uh, I guess you could argue staying the course and staying, you know, intact is a win in itself. Um, I think that a lot of the other teams have gotten better though. So... I love the Sharkies. I live in the Shire. I've lived here all my life. They're kind of my second team, although I never agree that you can have a second team. You know, I've got a soft spot for them in my heart. And I've played here as well. Um, But, yeah, I don't think that they can replicate it. I don't think they're going to have a second finish. I could see them top four. Um, I've probably got them as sort of a, a four to seven type of range. And I do think they'll be very good again. How are you seeing this unit pan out in 2023?
0: Oh, they've been kissed on the dick again with that draw. <laughs> Not so much early. Like, they, they got the um, Souths, Paranarotas the first, then they got Dragons, Warriors by uh, Chooks. is the only hard game. And they've, like from round four to 22, they played two top eight sides. And one of them is the, the Storm in the middle of the, the, the um, origin period. <laughs> it's very
1: enticing for Supercoach, isn't it, the draw?
0: Uh from from round four onwards, yeah. It certainly is. I don't know how they manage that them and the cowboys have just got the drone draws again, that's which is why they finished so high last year.
1: Yeah, after that Dragons game, which is gonna be down the road, mind you, from where the Sharks play, uh they've got an amazing amount of points bet stadium on the run that they've got. So it is one of those things where they do have the round six bye. And I think Teams. Some people will probably look at the first two weeks and go, oh, and they'll get a bit scared. and They won't really look into it much more because they'll also see the six by. But the Bunnies and the Eels are, are a bit harder. They do get the Bunnies at home, which is a big factor because they were so much better at points spent stadium last year. So the Bunnies and Eels, you can say, okay, they're harder. Yeah, Canberra away is hard, but I do think the Canberra can get some points put on them. And then they've got the Dragons and Warriors, I think a lot of people in the Supercoach community are dismissing the start of that draw when really, if you get to round four and you don't have some of these guns that we're going to talk about, it's going to be very hard to get some of these guys in. And I'm really talking it's to be a Hines, hard, right?
0: Watch. So how are you going to watch Nico
1: Hines at the Dragons in round four <laughs> and then playing the Warriors at points but staying in Cronulla in round five? Like, And, how- and if you tear your team apart and use a boost to get him in, You've just done it for two weeks and then they go going to have the buy. You're going to lose all the value that you might have got before that. And then they come out of the buy and they do hit the roosters. So, I mean, it's – look, I just I, – I really like the start of the Sharks draw. Um, I think it's had some unwarranted criticism in supercoach circles as being a bit tough to start.
0: I don't think it's that tough at all, considering they're, they're a top four side themselves. Mm. if you're going off last season.
1: They're all done and dusted by round 17 in their buys too.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at Um, it's this is a stat I like to look at from for Nico Hines, who we're talking about first. Obviously, um, the sharks play the rabbit eels, raiders, dragons, and warriors into the bye in seven games against those sides last year. Nico averaged 95.29 with three tons. Then they play the chooks and the dogs. His average drops from 95 to 90. So, over that first, <laughs> first eight rounds this season that they play, he averaged 90.44 against those sides last year with a lower 50 and a high of 185 and Uh, 300.
1: You know what? You've twisted my arm. Let's just talk about Nico Hines. (laughs) I
0: knew he'd be coming There's only two guns in the
1: Sharks that go 60 plus, and one of them is Nico Hines. Um, Well, sorry, I probably lied. There's a couple that are just sort of an edge off 60 as well. But Hines is the out-and-out gun, right? He's coming off on almost 86 points per game average. And because of that, he's 902,600. He's in 22% of teams. Um, and I look at that as a real positive person because to me, he should be highly, highly owned. And 22% is salvageable to be able to get one up on a lot of good coaches. That, that yeah, are gonna... He's at
0: 22 and the chin's at 56. It's very enticing.
1: It is. Um, and look, him and Nathan Cleary are both, you know, the top options, you know, I'm not going to say to people, don't get Nathan Cleary to get Nico Hines. Um, I've thought about it. I've toyed with it. I've chatted to Purcell about it, but I just, I think that people, because Hines hasn't got the street cred yet, there's been some narratives that are getting built that you can't have Hines and Cleary and it is hard to do. So I'm going to leave Hines out. You know, I just think that's on name value. I think that people are hugely discounting what Hines did last year. I'm I'm going to throw a big narrative out there per se because I think that I've heard a lot of them on why you can not have Hines and why you can get him later, that he's going to be cheaper, that um, teams would have worked him out, uh, that he, he's just not going to go as good. Yeah, a big factor that people are missing here, everyone's forgetting the last preseason of Supercoach where 95% of people wrote off Nico Hines because he'd never played halfback before. You know what? Let's Let's use that argument now. He has only played one year of halfback in his career, and he absolutely blitzed it. He was 86 points a game as a halfback in his first season with a club with a first-time coach. Fast forward, after finishing second last year, he has now got one-year seasoned experience as a halfback at NRL under his belt. He is a young man in his early 20s. He will be better for the season and he'll be better just because he's young and he's going to keep developing. And Fitzgibbon would be better for the run as well as a, as a coach too. So I just think that the narrative says that he can only get better. And I don't understand thinking that he's going to get you know significantly worse. I did make the argument on Twitter as well when I was chatting to some people that were, you know, considering not having Hines, And I was like, look, if you're waiting for the, the cash to drop, is it really Say he does have a, a worse start? What's a worse start? If he's 10% worse and he's averaging 78, 79, 80 points, is that going to be worth saving 40 or 50,000 and then having to use a boost and, and have to get him in for that Dragons game? Or say it comes off and say he drops like 75K and he goes into that Dragons game and throws up 150 points. Like, these are the things that you have to consider and with the elite options like Nico Hines, he can burn you in an instant because he's going to be a heavy captain option. And I think that a lot of people discount this person. With some of the kinds, it's not just the fact that he can average 86 points. It's the fact that he's got the ability to put on 200 points and be captain in that game by people. And that's a 400 point swing where you might've thrown a captaincy on a 75 point player and you've lost a couple of hundred points. It's just, it's a killer and you cannot have these sort of guys kill you like that when they're going to be playing the dragons and the warriors and you mentioned those numbers with the consistency. He can score against the great sides. So, look, he falls over 50 points without trying Perso. And that's the last thing I'm going to say, in this big Nico Hines love fest, and I'll let you get in on the love. But <laughs> the biggest factor is that he doesn't score low because he's got a phenomenal base. Like, and, and when you're looking at his base, you'll be dead set hard pressed to find any halfback that's as good as that, even in the game ever. Like, he's got a 32-base raw. He's got a 44-base-base attack. Nathan Cleary's obviously right up there. But then throw his goal-kicking up there, and he's in 50s just by turning up on the field. Like, he doesn't have to get any clutch attack at all. No try assist, no tries, no line breaks, no nothing. And he's already at 54, 55 points a game. It's safe as a bank. And then when you have a look at the tons, like, have a look at the people last year that said, don't start with Nico Hines. 72 points, 101 points, 124 points. Oh, he went back down to 44. Thank God. Oh, he's 117 points. He had three out of his first five ever game starting as a halfback in the NRL as tons. You know, it's just, I think it's it's madness the uh, the talk to leave Nico out. Um, and I actually think there's an argument that he's above Cleary already.
0: Uh, I can't leave him out <laughs> from the first. I've got Cleary and Hines. And I can't move from either of them. I don't know. We're talking about Dewey as a a stats filler at 5'8 with his base. Uh, Hines is just that on steroids. He just just fills it up. He just runs. He runs more than any other half in the comp. So his base is always up there. He's playing in the half. So he gets run out. So his tackles there. His raw base is not going to change. He tackle bus, he offloads, he gets forced dropouts. So even if he gets no attacking stats, he gets a couple of goals. He's looking at 50, 60 points. It's just, you look at the halfback last year, <clears throat> he was a top-average in halfback at 85.3, Cleary at 79.9. Then there's Daylight to the third, who was Jerome Hughes at 68.6 and Cherry Evans at 65.9. And then you're going down to Fogarty from there. So if you're not running Hines and Cleary, who are you running? You might – I think there's a case this year Sammy Walker might have a bit of a breakout year and he could step up, but he's coming off a 59.3 average. So if you, like, it's a big risk not running those. And then, like, we touched on that draw with Hines. Like, that draw is just ridiculous. Again, like, people say, oh, it's a bit tough to start with the South Parramatta and the Raiders. But like I said, he scored – brilliantly against them last year anyway. And then their draw is just ridiculous. Like 4-22, the, to 22, they played two top eight sides from last year. It's just, it, it, I just couldn't sit there watching. You'd be in the fetal position trying to watch a Sharks game if you didn't know it. He,
1: he just scores the point so easily. And, like, I, I don't want to sound like you that I'm saying he's, he's definitely better than Nathan Cleary. Don't, don't pick Nathan Cleary. Like, I think they're both great, like Perse said as well but I'm going to compare them a little bit because I do think that there's a bit of misconceptions and the big chin that is Nathan Cleary gets a bit of name value sometimes. Um, People talk about Nico's draw and want to rip it apart. You know, Cleary comes in and plays the Broncos and Souths. Not bad, not great. And he's got a buy. Like, you've got a round three bye with Cleary and he comes out of it and he plays two away games away at Parramatta um, at Convec Stadium where they're very good and then away at GIO against Canberra. Like... You, if you want to rip up on, on Hines' by Cleary's isn't better. Uh, and then the other thing, too, is that there's a big mis... Uh, I shouldn't say misconception because Cleary, rightly so, has a very good base and a base attack for a halfback. His base last year was 23 versus Hines' 32. Um, and with his base-base attack, he was at th- a 32 while Hines was scoring 44. You know, Hines was significantly better as a floor. Um, with his raw stats and his base attack so there's these misconceptions per se, look this is one of the reasons when you're looking at these numbers why I did actually consider no Cleary to save the money and putting in a Sammy Walker or someone that was a lot cheaper Uh, I've considered that but Hines was always my first choice halfback I I don't want to again I'm going to reiterate I'm not saying that Cleary isn't a good option Um, I'll, I'll probably have Cleary and Hines but I just I don't think that you can leave out Hines or discount him so much against Cleary being heaps better because I think it's very even between the two.
0: Oh, if I had to drop one, I'd probably drop Cleary, especially with Coruscant going. I would, I'd be nervous either way. But I, I, I'm interested to see what sort of impact Coruscant leaving the Panthers actually has. So I think it's quite underrated what sort of impact that's going to have. I think it would
1: be huge for them, to be honest. So, yeah, I, there's going to be some impact there for Penrith as well. But I don't want to get too much into a Penrith podcast, so I'm just going to say, I, I, Hines is one of my favourite players to own in Supercoach.
0: One last thing on Hines, too. I did see a narrative out there that he doesn't score well outside of PointsBet Um In nine games at PointsBet Stadium last year, he averaged 94.11. In 14 games at away, he averaged 80.42. So, yeah, if 80.42 is a bad average... I'll cop that in the chin every time. Of the week. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right?
1: Like, it, guys like Hines have a, have a bad few weeks. He's still averaging eighty points. Like, it's
0: it, it's not worth. Oh, he's only going to improve, I think, as a footballer. So, yeah.
1: it, it's not worth taking the risk or saving the money, is it? Like, how much money are you going to save, and and at what point do you do you have to tear your team apart and? And who are you
0: going to? Or you're going to play a Tanner Boyd or something there instead? And how the hell are you going to get Hines back in? We're going to find the clams to get him back in your sword,
1: and you're going to have to wait till after round six because you know you're not going to want to get him in a week before a buy or something like that. And then he's going to tear up the Warriors or even the week before the Dragons. It's just, I, I, I have to just step back from this Heinz argument and just say people need to start with him. Let's move on. Talakai, a borderline gun last year, just got on that sixty average. One of the interesting things with him, though, is he does go up a few points if you look at his centre games because obviously he started the year on the bench and playing some in the forwards. So he's rounded up to 63 points a game as a centre. He obviously was a guy that came on the scene on fire. He had that big manly tear-up game in round seven last year, which for me... Is one of the best, most dominant senator displays in a half of football I've
0: ever seen. It was up, that game against Manly was ridiculous. Uh, up there
1: against up there with the Meningers, the Steve Runos, the, the Gazniers, all the great centers of all time. He he really he really showed that in half a footy. Unfortunately, when you have a look at it, he really fell off a cliff a lot. Sifatala Klein now comes in at six hundred and thirty-five thousand off his sixty odd average. And when you're going through the numbers, Astoundingly, after that Manly game in round seven last year, he only scored one more try. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that everybody knows this, though, per se, because all of us jumped on him for 735000 and just wanted to ride the train after the Manly game when we didn't own him, and he did not deliver at all. And when you're looking at the splits, geez, they were terrible when you're having a look at what he did for each third of the season.
0: Well, Post-origin, he averaged 43.4. <sighs>
1: Just awful, especially when you when you paid that money for him. Like it's, rounds one to ten was seventy one. Rounds eleven to eighteen it was fifty six, and then you was just thinking, oh, it's got to get better, and it just dipped again by the same amount. Like he, he, he dropped thirteen to fourteen points a game each third of the season down to that forty three odd points.
0: Well, he was his base base attack was forty five point four five, which is bloody good for a He Just he got no attack at all, did he? It was just no attack. So. No. He, an enigma. He's one of those guys. Like I've sort of looked at him, and i thought, oh, a full season training at um, centre. He, he wasn't even going to be centre last year. So full off season training at centre. There's some upside there. And then you look back through and you go, he only went over sixty, thirty percent of games. Six out of twenty games last year. He yeah, had those couple of massive scores did fuck all else in between, but still had a base base attack average of 45.45. I, I don't know what to make of him, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's funny because you think that's such a good floor, but he does, He just he wasn't getting any attack. And I have to say that that was one of the things I was very critical with the Sharks about. They weren't getting him early ball. And, and certainly after the Manly game, like you would have thought the memo would have been, get Siffer early ball. And it, it didn't really happen. And, he didn't get involved in the attack a lot either, and he also, you know, to blame him a little bit too, butchered a lot of a lot of uh, try attempts that should have led to like his winger going for a line break try and stuff. Um, I I have to think that he's better than that second half of the season, but at six hundred thirty five thousand, even though he was a gun last year, you'd have to be a very very brave man to to start with him round one, even with that draw.
0: I couldn't start with him in round one, but. Um... It's one to watch once they get past those first three games. You watch off and and if he's looking the goods, then you could pick him up because that, that Sharks draw is just ridiculous from there on. But he's pretty much like the rest of the outside backs. I don't think I could start with any of them, but yeah, every one of them could be an absolute gun.
1: Well, let's talk
0: about a fallen gun here for the Sharkies, uh, Cam McInnes.
1: He had a bit of popularity last year and then he obviously got named on the bench because he's coming back from injury and stuff. And a lot of people dropped off. Some jumped on while he was on the bench and certainly got some good minutes still. But all in all, 58 points a game. He was about what I thought was going to happen, where he was just decidedly solidly average. And he did that in 56 minutes a game. Now he's coming into this season priced off that 58, which I have to say is still pretty pricey. Um, But when you're having a look at him, 613,000. Um, he's in a couple percent of teams, so a few people are thinking about it. There is definitely cause to say, per se, that this year he does bounce back because last year was his ACL comeback year. He obviously started some games off the bench. Like the first few weeks, he played 25, 49, 43 minutes. He did have some starting games in there, but largely came off the bench. But later on in the second half of the season, he's sort of very much a 55 to 60 minute type of guy. So, you know, maybe those consistent minutes will yield a 60-something average. I still don't see it for him. And one of the reasons is because he's going to hit 30 during this season, over 600,000. So it's just completely priced him out of the market, even with that 58 average that he's priced at now. Um, and you're obviously only going to get raw base from him and not much else. So he went through last year scoring the one try for a 94-point performance against my Roosters, which I remember well, because I lost a crucial head-to-head based on that. <laughs> but... Uh 49 base is, is solid in the minutes. Maybe that goes up to a 52, 53 base, gets him to around a 60 base base attack, but he's not going to have much else. So, you know, five points of value to get to a 63 in a valuable secondary forward position. I'm going to say that he, he won't be a fallen gun anymore after this year, but he's not going to be a, a gun that you're going to want to start with or own early on.
0: He's as many potatoes as you get. He, uh, uh, while ever him and Fanuka are in the same sort, you couldn't go near either of them. For that exact reason. He won't get the minutes of his super-coach relevant. He's got no upside or attacking upside. He's just beating potatoes. He's, he gets through the work. Whatever minutes he plays is pretty much what he's going to score. So you, I couldn't go near him. I never really understood the hype about it last year, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't get it though. I really wasn't on him. And you know, coming back from an ACL, there was no way he was going to play the minutes that he used to. And he was always that type of guy that such a worker that he needed those minutes um, and he was basically an 80 minute player before that um, ACL injury so yeah I don't see it. I I'm not even interested in draft to be honest I think that he'll get overdrafted he just seems to have this name value um, and everyone loves Bucky so
0: they jump on too early yeah I wouldn't go near him and draft order actually they can, they can take that yeah. that'd be good get him off there in the
1: middle <laughs> rounds we'll wait for the value person big balls pods let's just say the whole back line <laughs> Because <laughs> it's a bit hard pick one.
0: It's hard. They're all but like uh Mulatalo and Ramian. They were all right up there, at the top center wing last year. They sort of take points off each other, but it, it, you get the right one at the right time, they go on a run. They're all good options. But do you start with any of them? Because they're all so highly priced.
1: I I had Sione Katoa during the year, and I really enjoyed having him when I had him. Um, I jumped on sort of... Oh, you
0: know, I had like him and Militalo. Yeah, both.
1: Uh, yeah, That would have worked out all right. Militalo went on a really bad second half a season run. Um, obviously, Katoa came to an end, pectoral injury in round 18.
0: So I think I picked him up him. two weeks before. Oh. <laughs> Which killed me, because I was looking forward to having both him and Militalo because they were both killing it. And then I think it was like, he went down and I went, ah.
1: Uh, See, I I picked (laughs) him up against my Roosters, I think, and he scored a 66. He he scored. How crazy is this? I had him from round 12 to round 18, and he scored every week, and one of those weeks he scored a hat trick against the Warriors for 93. It was a sensational run for a pickup, and I sold him for 80K profit or something when he did his peck. He obviously got hurt. One of the things with him is he's got a 23 base, but his big points are his base attack. His tackle breaks are outstanding forty six in base base attack um he, his base attack is as good as his raw base, which is extremely hard for anybody to do yeah they're outstanding. his try scoring is phenomenal um like I said from when I got him around twelve to round eighteen, he scored every week he had one triple and one double uh, and he was you know, off after round eighteen not playing again. he scored basically he scored every week in his sixteen games, bar five games, so his strike rate was great. That's why he was always solid. He didn't have those huge scores, though, no tons, which I think is a big concern. If you look at the round 14 versus the Warriors, his 93 was his best score. And he backed that up with, uh, sorry, 98 against your Tigers and then 93 versus the Warriors. Those were his two big scores. So I think that's a concern with him. He doesn't have the tons, but I do really like the floor. Unfortunately, Perso, he comes in, with this price tag at around 60, the same as Mulatalo. So you've got Mulatalo at 640,900, Kato at 630,700. Both those wingers I would love to own, I will probably target in draft, but it's just too hard at those price points. They needed to be around 500,000, I think. Um, and Mulatalo, just to give you the numbers on him, like I said, he finished off pretty badly. Around 1 to 10, he averaged 67 a game, comes in around 1 to 18, drops to 63. And then he drops down, ran 19 to 26 to 52, which was just a killer for those that held on to him. So very much streaky guys, very much run guys. Could start well, per se. Certainly big balls, pods. If you wanted to have one of those high upside guys that could get a lot of tries to start off with, maybe as your man because he got the, the tons. He had three tons last year, including a 125. So out of the two, he's probably the consideration. Yeah, both of them
0: I'm watching. When the BE gets nice and their price drops, and with that shark straw coming up from the Dragons onwards after round four, that's, I'd, you'd be looking at pouncing on one of them. Wait and see which way they um, attack this year, whether 50 changes a bit more from being a bit left dominant, goes to right. But what lot to watch there. Oh, definitely on the radar, a pair of
1: them. I'm almost going to throw Raymian into the next category and say that he's a mistake. Um, and he's a mistake that someone that many people do every year and I, I guess this is a good time to mention the criteria that we're talking about here. We're we're only talking about round one everyone. Okay. So certainly during the year, all these guys are gonna have some value. Raymond at some point will have value for a run and he did last year as well. But for a round one guy, you've got to look at his career and what the likely start is going to be for him. He's coming off fifty nine points a game at six hundred and eighteen thousand and in his career uh, I think that people get carried away thinking that he's a gun or he's an up-and-coming gun. You know, he's he's 25 now. He's coming off 59 points in 2022, which was a drop-off from his best season and his only gun season of, of 63 points a game in 2021. He he still scored a lot of tries last year. For that, that average, it was just below 60 per so. And he had, you know, a couple of big games. He scored three tries versus Storm for 133 points. Remarkably, the week later, playing hard opposition again, against the Cowboys away at Townsville, he scored 99 points. He had those big ones in him. He did beat up on some bad teams too, like your Tigers with 115 points. That base and the base attack get people in person. So 58 base, base attack last year. But he's just got so many errors, so many injuries, and just I just think there's so many other options. So I'm sure that people are looking at Ramian as a bit of a pod option, but at his price, it should scare people off for round one.
0: Yeah, he couldn't go in there in round one. Again, none of, he'd be on the watch list. He's, oh, he's one of those guys who's got that much potential to be, not only NRL, but super coach-wise, to just be an absolute gun. Et he just sort of never quite get over the precipice of that. He goes on a bit of a run, and then he got caught. So, uh, draw a penny. Like all these outside backs at the Sharks, I can't start with any of them, but I'm looking at all yep,
1: of them. 100%. Um, and unfortunately, it's the, it's the tale of all the Sharkies for me, aside from Nico Hines. It's just, there's some nice options in there that are all priced out of the market because the Sharks went so well last year. Uh, another big mistake, I think, and a guy that is a few percent owned, so a, a few more people are having a look at him, Britton Akora. He was a bit of a popular one to look at for the start of last season. He's a trap every year. Yeah, it's the same every year with him, and I, I never really understand it. He had a really good rookie season, then he dropped off as, you know, try scoring back rowers often do. He's 650,000, so that's probably scared more people off him this year. He, he's a quintessential example of what we were saying before, where these guys will be relevant during the year, but there's no way for round one. Tim Moody, who won it the year before last in 2021, the champion of Supercoach overall, very astutely for the, the last couple of months of the season, brought in Britain to Cora for a run. And that's exactly what you do with Britain to Cora. The start of the season, yeah, he did not hit 70 points in a game until round 16 versus the Bulldogs. He only scored as a noted try scorer in round five and then his second try in round 16 when he hit that 70 plus for the first time. When you look at the run of his last five games, he went 76, 79, 71, 101 and 122. So he's two times for the last two weeks of the season when he had a good draw, playing the Bulldogs and then playing the Knights. And he scored four tries in those last... Uh, sorry, five tries in those last three games. That's what you want to get a britain Acora in for. Um, certainly, he will benefit from some runs. Uh, but I think that it's just too hard to do that for the start of the season. And he started off last season really poorly. He's got a base of 43. He's, he didn't even go for the tries last year as much as what you think until the very... Last month of the season, so Nakor is a big mistake to me per se. But I think that he's been a big mistake his whole career. But he did average sixty-two points a game last year, so we probably need to give him a bit of credit. But he would have been fifty-five points a game like twenty twenty-one if he didn't have those last two weeks of footy.
0: Oh, exactly. You get pick him on the right run, and that's that's fine. But um, you can't you can't look at him for round one this year, not at all. Mids and cheapies for Cronella.
1: Um, There's one guy that has been very popular to talk about, and that is Big Royce Hunt, probably because, you know, his gym stats are absolutely outstanding. (laughs) By by all accounts, he could squat a small house. Um, But at the same time, the ground swells there because there's potentially a starting job for him. And I think people are talking about him but waiting for team lists because he is only 1% owned at the moment but there's a lot of chatter about Royce Hunt. He comes in at 470,000 as a front row person. In our mids and cheapies category, he headlines it because he is someone being talked about because that front row spot, people want to put guys like him in there. We spoke about Stefano. He's 100K more, but he is a guy that if you're starting getting the big minutes and his PPM, he could be really good. He's coming off averaging 40 points a game. Um, the problem for me is that I don't see how he starts at all. He's always been a, a, a low-minute impact prop. Like, he's almost like one of those old-school props. You know, he, he's one of those real strong, big, nuggety guys that is going to be really good in the in the bursts. Yep. He's never played big minutes.
0: He's the guy you want to bring off the bench when your alpha goes off and he's going to give you that 20 minutes. It just Yeah, the, the most
1: minutes he's ever played was last season. It was 29. Yeah, some will say that he's, he's still a young fella and, you know, he's feeling his way. And that, that might be the case, but He's His PPM is the PPM of, it, of a prop that, you know, he averages around 1.2 PPM and that's the, the average of a prop that's a short-minute prop. I don't see him getting to 45-plus minutes. Um, I think that if he does, his PPM yeah. drops. Like, I think maybe, per se, you can have a look at the numbers and tell me what you think because I think that a lot of people are looking at it going... If he just gets 10 minutes a game, Barnsley, he could go from 40 points a game in 2022 to 50. That's good value at front row forward, and it is. Yeah. But he would need to maintain that PPM, and Fitzgibbon would need to say, I'm going to go from a, a small-minute prop to a half-a-game prop at 40 minutes. And I just don't think either of those things are going to happen for him.
0: No, they won't. He's a good player, Royce. He's a, he's a great guy. He's an ideal bench prop. How many will he's going to be back? He'll be starting with Rudolph. So uh, I, just, I don't see any appeal in Hunt at all, and he's not going to get extra minutes. He doesn't need extra minutes. That's his role is to come on and just be an absolute mongrel in the middle for the, the 20, 25 minutes that he's on the field for.
1: Yeah, so Hamlin Newell is an interesting one, um, and he's another guy that's in this category as well. He's coming off a year where he averaged 34 minutes a game for 36 points a game. So a similar ish output and similar ish role. Now, obviously, we talked about him potentially starting. The funny thing with that is that he started the first six games of last year uh, and he still wasn't getting the minutes. His minutes ranged from 33 a game to 45, which was his high. Almost all of the uh, two of those first six games were in the 40s at 42 and 45, all the rest were in the 30s. So basically what his average was at around that mid-30s mark in minutes is what he was when he was starting, despite the fact that he had a heap of bench games after that. So I, again, need to see that he's going to get more minutes, and that's what you're looking for with these props. He is someone who is um, priced a little bit less than a Royce Hunt, though, so I guess that's a bit more appealing. I've liked Hamlin Ueli's game, per se, so I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a look at him as an option because he is only 374600 that's starting to get in that sweet spot of, you know, getting those cheaper mid-ranges into your front row forward rotation. Um, and I think that he can actually play bigger minutes and be more effective. The question is, will that actually happen for him this year?
0: It probably will, but not straight up. That's the thing. His has will build. they sort of built last year before he got injured as well. I, I don't know how many new early he's got 50 minutes in him, but um, at the start of the season, it's probably not going to happen.
1: Yeah, and you saw, I guess, a bit of a prelude to that happening in the last three rounds. It wasn't exceptionally pretty. So the last three rounds of footy, he averaged forty-six minutes a game, and that was as a starter with the number eight on his back. So ten minutes, oh sorry, twelve minutes more a game than what he did for the season average. And in those games, he went thirty-two in forty-six minutes, forty-nine points in forty-five minutes, and fifty-three in forty-seven minutes. It's not bad. It's not phenomenal, um, and I, I think that there's probably going to be better options. Having said that, I agree with Perso. I think he's, he could have 50 minutes in him, and if he went up to 50 minutes, that would be really interesting and quite appealing. So certainly if there's a, a maybe a... um
0: And fully fit. Too.
1: And fully fit, yeah, because he has been punctuated with the injury the last couple of years of his career. So yeah, certainly Perso, there's a bench utility on the bench, like a winger or something ridiculous. And he's starting and training the house down and getting all the preseason season hype the next few weeks before we kick off.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing with the Sharkies too, isn't it? Like Fitzgibbon is always, he's liked a, a, a four big man bench since he's been there. Yeah, he
1: does. He, he likes the size and he's a bit old school. He's an old school forward himself. Um, I think that he likes that style and I think it worked for the Sharks too. So I, I don't see him changing it. Um, I don't think he's going to be much of an option. Um, likewise with Finucane who... Yeah, he's the cheapest that he's ever been, but I think that he's going to continue to fall off. But the interesting mid-forward to talk about is going to be young Teague Wilton. So Wilton showed quite a bit last year, um, and then he got Wade Grahamed. But <laughs> that happened to a few players quite fairly. Um, and I've got to say, oh, I love Wade Graham. I Actually, like. it is true that he's stymied the attack at times and stuff, but I think that he's starting to cop it a bit too much for that than what he deserves. So I think he's really quite important for the Sharkies, just not as a starter anymore. But for the first 10 weeks of last season per so, Teague Wilton was, was starting and it was punctuated with the first two weeks he really came onto the scene because he had back-to-back tries. Played 80 and 66 minutes and scored 85 and 77 points. Now, that was quite outstanding for him to come on and do that. He dropped off a little bit, but it was still really solid. And then in round nine versus the Warriors, he went bang with another try scoring effort that scored 102 points for him. That was the best 10 game scratch of his career though. Um, he didn't... Start again, say for a game in round 12, but he didn't get the minutes playing 47 with Graham on the bench. And then in round 18, again, that was the only other time that he played 80. So if Wade Graham's in the side, I don't think you can go near him. And that's the problem. Teague Wilton could very well start. I think their best side is Teague Wilton starting and Wade Graham on the bench. I would personally have Wade Graham come into 13. I think Wade Graham as a 15, 20 minute 13 off the bench would be perfect for him at this stage of his career and he can have the leadership. He can pass the ball as a 13. I think it's perfect. But they've got all these middles. So they're not going to do that. So unfortunately, Nekora is not going to come off. It means Wilton's going to come off. Even though he's priced at 493,000, coming off a 47 average, you know, I think he'd be a 60 plus average very easily. He'd probably be a 65 plus average gun. If he's playing eighty on an edge, I just don't see him getting the minutes there with Wade Graham.
0: Ah, uh, see Wilton, he, if he's playing eighty minutes on that edge, he's a completely different player to um, Wade Graham. Too, he's a hole runner. He's he, he's a good edge line runner. And uh, but while uh, Wade Graham's hanging around like a fart in the shower, you couldn't get near him. <laughs>
1: exactly right.
0: Which he is, and um, Graham's even come out and said oh, this will be his last year, pretty much. I listened to the podcast, Josh Rowan's podcast, the yep. uh, the boy, around. he had a, a really good interview with Wade on that, and he he pretty much confirmed that he's not going to start. He's going to be coming off the bench. So I, I think Wade Graham's going to be that utility role. If you look at the side of Sharks' name this week, in even though it's like pretty much a Reggie's side, Wade Graham's playing five eight. <laughs> so well, I think um, White Graham will be like that utility role off the bench so whether he's still going to play a bit on the left edge, I think he stifled their attack a little bit last year, myself But well, he did play on that left edge which he's a, a different player than what he used to be White Graham, I love him, he, he was awesome he's not the player he used to be he's getting on the end of his career and I, I think that the, the sort of stifled the Sharks attack last year so I don't know whether he will so if what, if uh, Wilton does play he he's a serious option, but there's just too many unknowns. You just don't know. Could you even see a world
1: where they go 70-plus for Wilton in minutes? Like maybe he comes on at the 30-minute mark in the first half, way Graham, and then he ends up playing middle for 10 minutes, something like that, in the second half? Um,
0: yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, then I if, you're, if
1: you're looking at Teague for 70-plus minutes, then it becomes a little bit more enticing. And especially when he's only 1% owned, uh, and I don't think many will jump on him at just under 500,000. And and you're right, he's such a good hole runner, and he only played um, an average of 60 minutes a game last year. He still managed to get six tries, and I think that he'll get more this year with the extra minutes. So, you know, there is an argument to say that even if he doesn't get to 60 points a game, if he's at 70 minutes or even 68 minutes or something, he could be at 58 points a game. Um, and it could be someone that could give you some early big scores. So
0: I'd be taking Wilton over Cora, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I would as well. And you've got this having one hundred fifty thousand there. But where would you peg Wilton against some of these other mid-range guys in that four to five hundred range? Like, do you think that he compares? Well, that's
0: the question. That's the, I I rate Wilton as a footballer too. So if he gets that opportunity, I think it, it it could be good. But there is a plethora of guys in that back row at the moment to start the season. So I'm a lot cheaper as well. Where do you fit them in?
1: Yeah, so I think that this episode of the, the Sharks preseason season is uh, basically titled Wait and See Everyone.
0: <laughs> Put the entire side on the watch list.
1: Yeah, well, except for Hines. Get him in your side. <laughs> <It's> round one. <laughs> Have Hines. Watch everybody else. pick everyone else up for the runs and stuff. If Teague Wilton's getting 80 minutes, make sure he's in your team. Wade Graham goes down with an injury in the next three weeks. Yeah, God forbid, I hope he doesn't. I like him as a player. He's a good bloke as well. But if he does, Wilton's straight in. Um, he'll be he he'll be gold at 493,000, at 80-minute edge. But we need to see that and Unfortunately, I don't think that we will. So that is the end of the podcast. It is a long one again because we love to do the long ones. It'll be... You know, this is part two. We'll be breaking it up into two parts. Uh, but, Perso, thanks very much for jumping on. It was a blast chatting footy with you again. It's been a few months, so couldn't wait to get you on. Chat about your Tigers. Chat about the Sharkies. We'll have you on again soon as well.
0: <laughs> nah, it's always good to have footy with you, Bargie. Awesome.
1: So for everyone listening, if you're looking at downloading or streaming the podcast, make sure you try and subscribe as well because that's great. Love to get the subscriber numbers up. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon, we are everywhere. You can also follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore all stars. Follow us on there. You'll get all the updated podcast info when they drop and everything else. And we'll chat about footy on there as well. But it was great talking about the two preseason teams tonight, the Tigers and the Sharkies. We'll have a brand new guest on next week to do another Supercoach episode on two brand new teams as well. Loving these preseason episodes, loving Supercoach, loving that the footy trials are on. Getting all into it. Can't wait to chat more about it again with everyone next week. Hey now, you're an all star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now,
0: you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.